0: All right, Matthew twenty-one. If you would turn there, we'll be in twenty-three through twenty-seven. And while, of course, while you're turning there, um, it has been—it's been a wild ride the last six months. and we just praise God for um, a lot of you have asked how we're doing, and, and in a way, it doesn't really matter because God is always good. Amen. And. If we have learned anything, it is that he is good all the time. Even whether it makes sense to us or not. So, so Matthew 21, uh, we'll be in verses 23 through 27. 23 through 27. Verse 23. And when he entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came up to him as he was teaching and said... By what authority are you doing these things, and who gave you this authority? Jesus answered them, I also will ask you one question, and if you tell me the answer, then I also will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, from where did it come? From heaven or from man? And they discussed it among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say to us, Why then did you not believe him? But if we say from man, we are afraid of the crowd, for they are they all hold that John was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we do not know. And he said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. So, if you don't mind, I'd like to pray too. Father, Really, the only thing that matters is your grace. And as we gather together today, and really, because we are bound by uh, the text, um, your word is living and active, and it exposes our hearts. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. And no matter how limited my vision might be, and my understanding might be, your vision and your understanding cuts through. So, it's easy to to gather here today, and it's easy to put on a face, it's easy to, to look the part, but Lord, speak to our hearts today. We thank you for this text, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so last week Mike uh, talked about um, this fruitless fig tree that Jesus cursed. And on cue, um, in Matthew's typical, topical fashion, brings the religious leaders. And they question Jesus. Where does he come up with this authority? Um, and so the beauty of this interaction is not that they asked a horrible question. That's not a horrible question to ask. Where do you get this authority? But asking it of the one who, you know, sees our motives and examines our hearts and the one who is just when he judges and and always fair in his dealings, that's probably not the person to be asking that question to. Nonetheless... Here's what they ask. Notice verse 23 and when he entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders and the people came up to him and he was teaching uh, and he said and sorry and, and so the the teachers say by what authority are you doing these things and who gave you this authority. So again, this question is rich in meaning. If you just saw Jesus cleanse the temple, which we, that that just happened. Or if you see him riding in on the back of a donkey and you've got, there's crowds all around him and they're laying their, their coats on the ground for the donkey to walk on and they're saying, save us, save us. And that's the first time you ever saw Jesus. Legitimate question. Jeez, where does this guy get this authority from? I mean, for crying out loud, people are praising him. I mean, he walks in and he dumps exchange tables and creates complete chaos in the courtyard of the temple. Where does this guy get his authority? If this is the first time you ever saw Jesus, that's a great question. Where does he get off doing that? Problem is, the people asking this question had no business asking that question. I'll give you some examples in Matthew 20, which you don't need to turn there, The blind see. Clear, I mean there's clear testimony to the religious leaders that you you can't take somebody who's blind and make them see unless God is with them. It just doesn't happen. You can't cast out demons, which he did in chapter 12. Cast out demons in view of the Pharisees and the religious leaders. You don't do that unless you're of God. It cannot happen. Um, The testimony of the Father at His baptism. The appearance of the Holy Spirit as a dove at His baptism. Kind of definitive markers this guy might be from God. Okay? Now, these are just the things that the Pharisees saw, and that over several years, okay? That's not to mention... Christ's victory over Satan's temptation, the cleansing of the leper, the healing of the centurion's servant, Peter's mother-in-law being healed, the calming of the storm, the healing of the paralytic, the woman with the issue of blood, and Jairus's daughter. This isn't counting the mute man being made well or the man with the withered hand or the feeding of the 5,000, the walking on the water and the feeding of the 4,000, not to mention, which we'll get to in the next chapter, but I have it here anyway because it's in Matthew. Paying taxes out of the mouth of a fish. The transfiguration, for crying out loud, right? And that's just what's in Matthew. In John, John chapter 5, we actually have Jesus answering this question. So go to John 5. So in John 5, we have the story of, a, of, the, of the man that's at the pool Bethsaida, Bethsaida. And every time this pool stirs, jump in the pool and you're going to get healed. I have no idea whether an angel was stirring the water, which is what one commentator says, or or what. Or or that's just the way God chose to heal some of those people. I, I really don't know. But every time the pool stirred, this guy would miss out because he just couldn't get into the water. He just wasn't fast enough. And so Jesus heals him. Look at verse 15, just to show the attitude here of this man. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. understand that most people are they man they're full of praise and thanksgiving for the work of Christ, Amen. not this man. He goes right to the Jews and he complains like a little baby. Verse 16, and this is why, this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, my father is working until now, and I am working. Now, we hear that, and we go, Pfft, you know, how I many of you have seen Sanford and Son? Okay, you, you see the junker going down the road, and you think, okay, this is just a young guy who's going to take the dad's place someday, they work together, it's fine. I don't have any problem with that kind of a statement. That's kind of the statement that he makes here. But look at verses 18, look at verse 18. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. That was the statement. We we think it's not a big deal for the son to take the father's place. But in this case, what Jesus is actually saying is, I'm equal with God. Well, (laughs) all right, as a Jew... You could, you can say, you know what? God is the father of our nation. But for you to say, God is my father, in that setting, that's blasphemy. He was making the claim to be equal with God. So Jesus said to them, verse 19, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, that he, uh, that the son does likewise. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing and greater works than these will he show him for so that you may marvel. For as the father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the son gives life to whom he will. The father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the son that all may honor the son. Just as they honor the Father, whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. So who sent Jesus? The the, the Father did. I mean, he's he's a cookie cutter image of the Father. Verse 30, he goes on and explains some more. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not deemed true. So is, is that true? Well, absolutely. I, I can claim to be the Messiah, and hopefully you'd laugh me off the stage. Because I'm not. And the reason I'm not is because, for one... I'm not qualified. What qualifies a person to make the claim to be the Messiah? Because there's been lots of people over the years who've claimed to be the Messiah. If Jesus just makes this claim, it's kind of an empty claim. Verse 33, You sent to John, that's John the Baptist, and he has borne witness to the truth, not that the testimony that I received from man is from man but i say these things so that you may be saved he was a burning and shining lamp and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light so here comes john the baptist that's that's a pretty good start having a forerunner and and, and we're going to put all put john the baptist in your back pocket for a second cuz we're going to go back to him in, in a little bit so we've got john the baptist shows up and 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 testifies to jesus that helps but jesus is saying I, I didn't really need john I have something greater than John. Look at verse 36. Thirty-six. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John for the works that the Father has given me to accomplish. The very works that I am doing bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. So now we don't have just John the Baptist. We've got works too. Everything that Jesus did testified that he came from God. Verse 37. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you, and you do not believe the one for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. So all the way back at the beginning of Christ's ministry, we have the voice of the Father. That does help the situation immensely. It's one thing to claim to be the Messiah. It's nothing when God's like, "Yeah, that's the guy right there." That really does help. So now we got John the Baptist, we've got the, the works, all, all, you know, people, blind people seeing, and deaf people hearing, and mutes having their tongues loosened, and withered hands all stretched out, and so that's testifying, and then you have the Father testifying, and then verse 39, you, these Jews, you search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. So now we we not only have John the Baptist and the works and the Father, we have the Scriptures. That helps too. Wouldn't it be great to be able to, to know who the Messiah was going to be and where he was going to be born and who he was going to be born to and how he was going to be born and what town he was going to be born? Oh, wait, all that's prophesied about. Yeah, that helps. That's all there. That's right, and it happened. To, so he himself spoke prophetically, and it happened. And so, um, as we've seen in Matthew, I mean, he even said, "I'm going to get betrayed. I'm going to I'm going to die," and that happened. I mean, that helps too. You know, um, verse forty-two. But I know that that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. Not just not just the scriptures, but specifically, we go back to Moses, who they banked on Moses. Well, guess what? Moses testified of him, and and in and, and, and a couple of chapters in John, uh, he, we're gonna have the same argument with with Abraham, because they're they're claiming, "Oh, we come from Abraham," and Jesus is like, "No, you're of the father, the devil." Ow. who's he speaking to in that chapter? To Jews who believe in him. By the end of the chapter, they're trying to kill him. That's generally not genuine belief. Okay? Not just that, if you back up to chapter 3 of John, a man, uh, beginning of verse 1, now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. So so here's Nicodemus. He's, he's Jesus is going to say, you're, you're a teacher of Israel. He's going he's to call him that. This is a man who stands and teaches and he comes to Jesus in verse 2, this man came to Jesus by night, which the debate is, well, he either coming by, rabbis would get together at night and talk. Well, that's fine because then the crowds would be in bed and away from everything, all the, all the actions. So they had time to chit chat with each other. But, but in the book of John, I don't think that's what's going on. Because when Judas departed to go betray Jesus, it was night. So I've, I think John uses some, some imagery here. And, and I, and so Nicodemus was coming because nobody else was going to be around. So they didn't have street lamps. So, hey, that's Nicodemus. You can see him from a hundred yards away. No, you, you didn't know he was coming. So he comes to Jesus at night and here's what he says. Rabbi, which means that's, that's a, he commends him as a teacher. And then he says, we know that you are a teacher come from God. Not I know. Not we speculate. Not we hope. We Pharisees know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Should they have been asking that question in Matthew 21? No way. Because of all of this. And that's not counting. Why why was it this way? We, We can back up or go forward to chapter 12 of John, verse 41. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. So here's Isaiah over here. Here's the word. He's testifying of those that are hearing the good news, but rejecting it. And the following verse is probably one of the most frightening in the book of John. Nevertheless, many, even of the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. Isn't that sad? For they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Were they saved? No. I'm <laughs> sorry, because you can believe all you want, but if, if there's no confession of that belief, it, whatever you sh- claim to believe just doesn't, doesn't count for anything. So they did not want to be put out of the synagogue. They love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. So so they should not have been asking this question, but nonetheless they do in, in hopes of trapping Christ. So in short, which every time you hear a preacher say that, that's a lie, Um, The religious leaders knew precisely where his authority came from. They knew the answer to that question. The problem is not the authority of Christ. Or even the question. The problem was their unwillingness to yield to the authority of Christ to believe and confess him. As we saw in John 12. So Jesus gives an answer. And it was definitely not the answer they were looking for. So if you go back to Matthew 21, notice what he says here. Verse 24 and 25. Jesus answered them, I also will ask you one question. And if you tell me the answer, then uh, I will, excuse me, then I also will tell you by what authority I do these things. And here's the question, the baptism of John. From where did it come? From heaven or from man? And they discussed it among themselves, and we'll get back into that here in just a second. So here's what happens in verse twenty-four and twenty-five. Jesus takes a grenade, proverbially. <laughs> didn't really take a grenade. And he set it on the table and he pulled the pen. That's what he did. Go ahead, answer the question. That 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 that's you answer that question, I'll answer your question. How about John the Baptist? was he from from God or not So he's exposing by his own question the motives of their heart He knows that they don't really want an answer to the question right They've been on the hunt to trap him for a long time and he's not a fool. And as we just read in John 5, one of the primary witnesses of Jesus was John the Baptist. So Jesus is fully aware of the popularity uh, that John the Baptist, uh, as basically the last Old Testament prophet, he, he knew that the crowds loved John the Baptist. So um, he commended him as the greatest man born among women. Yeah, if Jesus says that, then there's probably some clout to it. You know what I'm saying? I mean, there's some legitimacy there. If, If Jesus says that this is the greatest man who's ever been born among women, he's probably the greatest man who's ever been born among women. You know what I'm saying? And in all of that greatness that John the Baptist had, he yielded to Jesus. At one point, he even said, He must increase, but I must decrease. And he wasn't speaking proverbially there, was he? Because before Christ could even finish his ministry, John's head was on a silver platter, right kids? (laughs) Yeah, that's right. So (laughs) when Christ comes to him, he wants to be baptized by him. John the Baptist, the greatest man born among women. I, I need to be baptized by this guy. John the Baptist, the greatest man born among women, said of Jesus, "This guy is so awesome i i i can't even i- can't, I can't even do like the dolos stuff I can't do like household slave stuff by unstrapping his sandals because I'm not worthy. So the Pharisees get together. I love this at the end of verse twenty five here They discussed it among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say to us, Why then did you not believe him? But if we say from man, we are afraid of the crowd, for they all hold that John was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, We do not know. (laughs) Which they do, um, but they just don't admit it. So the failure of the Pharisees is not the political answer, the tactful answer that they give, because it was that, wasn't it? Okay, well, I thought it was. All right. It was their failure to believe. D.A. Carson puts it like this. Rejection of revelation already given is indeed a slender basis for asking for more. That's like us saying, you know what, God? You've revealed Yourself. Your character, who you are, what, what you stand for in this book. And I don't like it. Can you please give me another? That's in essence what the Pharisees were doing. God and His character do not depend on a multiple choice answer. Whichever answer we choose that day. So option A, I want a fluffy God that makes me feel good and I just, I, that's, that's the kind of God I want. I want a fluffy God. Yeah. So we had a dog show up at our house about a month and a half ago, I guess, right? And this, this animal can do no wrong. Even if she pees on the floor, Ten minutes later, it's like, "Oh, you're so amazing!" Is that? I don't raise your hands because I fear that that may actually be what some of you think. Is that how God approaches us? We're inherently wonderful. No matter what we do, we're just great. Nope. Oh, we'll go with, well, you know what? Today, I'm going to roll out of bed on the wrong side of the bed, and I'm going to be angry to everybody, and I want option B. I want God to pour out His wrath on everybody except me. (sighs) That doesn't work either. So we'll go with option C, and unfortunately, we do option C a lot because we're Americans, and option C is, God, here's what I'm going to do today, regardless of you, regardless of your character, regardless of your power, I'm going to do my thing. I don't want to think about you, God, today. And so next Sunday, when when I have to put on my face, I'm, I'm going to be willing to hear what you have to say. But in the meantime, I'm going to live my life however I want. Guess what? None of those options work. The answer of the Pharisees here betrays their unbelief. You can see this in their, what I've dubbed holy huddle because you can kind of see that you got two different groups on the opposite sides of the line of scrimmage you know what i'm saying like they're getting together and this is what they're saying "Oh man, if we say this we're in trouble if we say this we're in trouble and so they're they're sitting there huddling together trying to figure this thing out right so they get together in their holy huddle and they know that if they acknowledge john the baptist is coming from god then it means they must acknowledge that christ came from god this required them to yield in humility and admit their error. They are the picture of obstinacy. They, their refusal is a testimony of the stubbornness. And that's not a, I've done a lot of mistyping and screwing things up when I'm typing. That's not a typo. Their refusal is a testimony of the stubbornness of our own hearts. They're just a, a, just give us a little window to our own hearts. Because the reality is I'm just like these Pharisees. I don't want to be wrong. And I'm going to hold up my head and act like I'm okay. Even if I'm dead wrong. So we would rather hold on to our pride. And we'd rather hold on to our error. Rather than look like Christ. Christ. Think about that in the church. My dad, he can testify if I'm wrong here, so do so. But he's seen trouble at his own church. And he's not a pastor. He just goes to a, to a church that has had trouble in the, these last few days and months. And um, And he told me a while back that of all the things that Christ has given us and shown us, all this instruction and all this example... The one thing that stands above all the rest is humility. And it's rarely what drives a church. Is it, was I close? Is that, It's true. Why is it? <laughs> we, the proclaimers of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the most humble man who ever walked on the face of the earth, and we can't share that humility. Man, w- we will strive to be doctrinally pure. We'll, we'll devote ourselves to the study of Scripture, but the one thing that we have so much trouble doing is humbling ourselves. What is wrong with us? <laughs> Did y'all hear that? We're, you don't, <laughs> we're just dumb sheep. Oh. Wow. <laughs> verse <laughs> verse 27, the second part. <clears throat> so, uh uh th- they don't give a very good answer. And so their answer kind of blares with silence even though they spoke. And so Jesus breaks that silence in verse 27b. He says, "Neither will I tell you by what what authority I do these things." So, Jesus maintains his authority by refusing to answer their question. And this leaves the Pharisees at an impasse. Do they follow this Christ with a huge dose of necessary humility or follow the stubbornness of their own hearts? Do they admit to being dreadfully wrong and admit that he really is the Messiah or maintain their political position and their pride? Go to chapter 22. I don't give the whole thing away, but he does pull a coin out of the mouth of the fish. Why? Verse 15. The Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him in his words. Did they have a change of heart? This is no. <laughs> Not at all. Verse 15 makes it very clear. The only way to maintain their political position is to silence the opposition which is why they were trying to trap him didn't work so when trapping doesn't work if you have no conscience then the next thing to do in order to silence the opposition is to kill the opposition and so this story ends with the crucifixion of Christ momentarily because for i mean how do you kill a guy who is resurrects from the dead How do we apply this? How do we apply these verses? Not just, you know, crucifying somebody. I realize that probably shouldn't be right there, but it is. So how do we apply this? First, Jesus doesn't have to answer your questions. One of the most blaring sins amongst the people who claim to believe is to believe that Jesus is our divine butler. God doesn't have to answer our questions. Stop and think about that for a second. And that should that take us down an answer to? It does me, because as a pastor, that's been <clears throat> I don't know how many of you have said this, but I've found myself saying, telling people, don't worry about it. There'll be an answer coming someday. Is that true? You, you, and I'm not saying this disconnected from the last six months because I've asked myself time and again, why? This doesn't make any sense. I, there, was a, there was a moment where I thought, I'm done. I'm going to die. I mean, I, I was getting up at, at night in, in the evening to go to bed, and I couldn't hardly walk. Something is wrong, and I, I, I have no idea. God, why? Why? You have to answer this for me. And the answer back is, no, no, I don't. You know why? Because before my life actually comes to an end, there's another 15,000 hurdles I'm going to go over. I can't keep track of all the whys. And in reality, I believe in a resurrected Christ. And as much as I want to know What the answer is to why we go through times of darkness, (laughs) I can tell you, when I see my Savior in His, look into His eyes, all of the wise will go. I'm just convinced that of years of poor counsel to people, that the truth is the only thing that matters is Jesus. And that's it no no matter how bad it gets so do you want christ himself and that comfort or do you want the answer that's what i've been struggling with and I've, i've spent a lot of time in job and the guy was like he didn't do anything wrong at the beginning of the book God commends Job. It's not Satan, it's God. Have you considered my servant Job? Ah, pfft, you got a hedge around him. Pull it up. He won't praise you. By the end of this trial for Job, it was, Job, Job, uh, 11, God comes down the whirlwind and, and he tells a guy who probably can't even stand up, he's got boils all over his skin, gird up your loins. <laughs> Our God has a sense of humor, and instead of actually answering Job the way that Job wants him to answer him, God's like asked all these questions about his creation, and Job's like, I "Can't answer these things, man! I don't know the gestational period of a goat. God does." He doesn't have to answer our questions. His sovereignty remains intact whether whether we ask the, the why questions or not. And He remains good whether He answers our questions or not. Um, this summer we've been uh, studying J.D. Greer's book, um, Jesus Continued, and let me read one of His quotes. He says, One of the reasons God often leads us through dark, silent valleys is that He wants to purify our hearts. Why do we want to be close to God? Is it because of what He gives us, or is it simply because we want Him? Man. What is more valuable to us? God or His blessings? Sometimes God withholds everything from us except His promises in order to make us... Ask ourselves, is this his promise enough for me? You can never know that Jesus is all you need, you see, until he's all you have. Secondly, <clears throat> religion is building a resume in order to please God. Look, God. God. I cast out demons in your name and I did many wonders in your name and I preached in your name and I did this and this and this and this and this. And on the grounds of these things, Lord, you have to accept me into your kingdom. And his response? I never knew you. Worker of lawlessness. God, Says, you, you did all this, but you ignored my word. And do we do this? I'll give you an example. How, how do we evangelize today? Oh, well, okay. So what, here's, here's what you do. You call somebody, you get a speaker and you, and you organize meetings and you get all this stuff together and no, no, no. That's not how you evangelize. I was thrown into this several years ago, uh, took a church and, and the, and they were they had, they were trying to organize uh, an evangelistic rally, and those that were in charge of the rally were going to use a whole bunch of just secular things to draw a crowd. And I got to reading the book of Acts, and I went to the guy that was hiring all these people, and I'm like, look at Acts; it's not complicated. How did they evangelize? How did how did Paul evangelize? He went to the synagogue, he reasoned with the Jews. Well, they'd kick him out. So he'd go to the next town, and he'd go to the synagogue, and he'd reason with the Jews. And this is open dialogue. So in Ephesus, where would he go? He'd go to the marketplace. He'd reason with people about the gospel. What did he do in Acts 17 at the Areopagus? He reasoned with people. He preached Christ. We don't need all this stuff. Worker of lawlessness, I never knew you. You ignored my word. That's what lawlessness means. So religion is building a resume in order to please God. Christianity is motivated by the word that leads to the cross. I was once dead, but am now alive in Christ. I cannot live for myself any longer. It's not about my religion. It's not about my works. It is only about the Christ who died. Third, some of you know full well what kind of life you reflect. You're either a follower of Christ or you're a Pharisee. That's it. There's riding the fence. That's painful. I can tell you. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. So we're either Pharisees or we're followers. That's it. There's not another option. And so you're either hanging on to the pride that always accompanies religion, or you're clinging to the cross of humility. And so you're either grasping at traditions or at the word. And that's it. And that's it. There's not a middle ground here. Fourth I'm going to say something really dumb. Are you ready? God is bigger than we are. It's dumb because I just said it in church. And that's, that's the right thing to say. Right? But it, that's in theory. In practice? Is that what we really believe? Are we moved every day by the gospel? Or are we just going about our lives, doing our thing? God's existence and His sovereignty do not hinge on our answer, even if we cower and throw our political, uh, answers out. I mean, we can take the talent and we can bury it in the sand, but the master's still gonna come. So I cannot close my eyes and wish Him away, or even wish He was fashioned in my image. Guys, I've driven my Suburban too long. I think it has about 200,000 miles on it. And a while back, my speedometer quit. Did you know on these fancy smartphones you can get a speedometer app? Oh, yes. So if you're like, you're not sure if your spouse, you're like, "Ah, you're going too fast. I don't want to look over there though and and cause a problem. It's just download a speedometer app, and you just you can know exactly how fast you're going. And so I, I, have, a da- I have a speedometer app. Well, well, that's good because I don't have a speedometer. Well, uh, eventually my dashboard has quit completely, so I, I don't know how much gas is in my suburban. I don't know how many RPMs it is. I don't know if I'm in gear because you know it's all digital now, and it's 2003, and it's digital. But I don't know. I have to count down to make sure I'm in the right gear. I, but despite the fact that all of that has quit my my dash doesn't work there is one thing that always works you know what it is come on well the engine's actually pretty good shape if your dashboard goes out what's the one thing that's going to work the check engine light Yes. Uh, you know, I heard somebody say one time, they're like, why don't we build, you know, black boxes when a plane crashes survives. Why don't we build the whole plane out of the stuff we make the black box out of? You know what I'm saying? Why not build the whole suburban off the same technology as that check engine light? Cause obviously it doesn't fail ever. All right. So there's something else that has not failed in that suburban. And it just started a couple weeks ago. Put it in gear. Start driving down the road, ding, 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 ding. the whole time I drive. I have no idea. I have no idea what's wrong. I don't have a dash. Maybe it's just telling me that. I, I don't know. No, I wear my seatbelt. There's something wrong. I, a wise man would take it to the junkyard or he would take it and get it fixed. But I am not wise. So what do you do? Yeah, I, I, you know how annoying the dinger is. You can't drive 20 minutes with a dinger on and be okay at the end. I mean, <laughs> if you're not like schizophrenic or crazy, before you start driving that, you're going to feel that way when it's over. Okay? So here's what I did. And I'm going to give the proper steps to how I did this so that I don't get in trouble because this is how I did it. Before I put it in gear, I take out my smartphone. I turn on the speedometer app, of course, because you know gotta know how fast I'm going. <clears throat> I take my headphones and I plug them in and I punch Pandora. <laughs> and I got them noise reducing headphones you, you can't hear hardly anything. I'm like, I'm not even sure if the dinger's still on. Does it even matter? I'm listening to some great music. <laughs> so I'm ignoring the warnings i 'm ignoring the signs there 's a lot of people that live the same way. Christ is coming back and i and i can and I can ignore all of those warnings I, I I can hear what Jesus is saying i I, I can even say because i 'm in church that I believe in him, but is it the kind of belief? That still tries to kill him on a regular basis. So, do we have faith? Have we placed our trust in Christ? Because here's 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 the reality: Christ is coming back, and the judgment day is coming. If I don't have Christ, then I have nothing. I have no defense on the day when I stand before God, and He's not going to write me a new revelation because he doesn't like the old one or I don't like the old one. <laughs> the storm is coming and we can either put our headphones in and pretend that there's nothing wrong and drown out the noise of repentance and faith or we take out our headphones and do something about it. And, and that's our only option. That's our, that's our only options. And until Christ comes back, that's all that's going to matter. Let's pray. Father, we come before you thanking you for your word. And it really does pierce like a two-edged sword. As much as I would love to ignore those verses The truth is, I am so much like those Pharisees. I am so much like, where do you get off acting that way, Lord? Doing those things. It is not my place to judge you. It is not my place to tell you that you are wrong. It is not my place to even know why. You call us, you tell us, you command us to repent and believe. And that's it. So I lift up those that are here today, Lord. I don't know hearts. I know this. I know that you want us to humble ourselves. You want us to lay down our errors, Lord, and trust you. So move amongst us.